0: Places. Everyone.
1: We're now broadcasting.
0: Roll the tape in. Three. Two.
1: A new audio drama.
0: Appaloosa Radio is where stories come alive. a radio offers on the express bus 73a a multi-episode original story many contemporary high-tech employees ride express commuter buses daily to and from their work mr larry j connors is just one of the many larry is a numbers guy a veritable filing cabinet for numbers, whose specialty is making fiscal projections, doing benefit analysis, and generating cost to price determinations. Unfortunately, Larry is also a quasi social isolate who stares at his own shoes to avoid eye contact with others. As our story begins, Larry's personal life has been reduced to doing his laundry, playing with his dog, and watching old, classic movies on television. One morning, when he boards his usual commuter bus, everything changes. He is no longer who he is. He is now living another's life and he is a stranger in his own body. Chapter 12 The Compendium I've come by for my morning chocolate to pick me up. Just a quick bite of chocolate keeps the ten o'clock blues away. By the way, how is Corky doing? I heard he really likes your carnitas.
2: My favorite pod, the one with the little bars of chocolate. Much appreciated.
0: Thanks, Larry. Larry, did I ever tell you how much I enjoy your singing voice? I think you could win the American Idol TV show. Better than most of the finalists.
1: Hey, Larry to do a pickup basketball game after work today one of our regular guys is off this week his wife is having a baby by the way
2: great chocolate remember I am Larry Connors the social isolate the one who stares at his shoes to avoid eye contact with others now I seem to be Larry the social center of the 17th floor. Funny what a dish of tiny chocolate bars will do. Have to fill it up a couple of times a day. My colleagues can't take one without saying hello. Another of the gifts from my special friends. As I thought about my experiences, I wondered whether the bus, the No. 73 Express, was in some way creating the transferences, moving me from my Larry self to the self of others. I asked Charles about my speculation. Charles provided a thoughtful response. In my research, I haven't found evidence that inanimate objects have power over conscious beings. I believe you are being invited by a person. It just happens that you and the other self are on the same commuter bus. Your self recognizes a commonality. The other's self responds. The commonality creates a special bond. One that you both recognize. So, there's a special bond, and they welcome you in. It could have just as easily happened anywhere. Maybe at the bus stop. Or in a grocery store. Or even here at work. Charles was right. The transfer of myself from Larry to the elderly linguistics professor occurred the moment I saw him, walking toward me, at the bus stop. He was walking slowly, leaning heavily on his uniquely carved cane. We had not even exchanged words, just the briefest eye contact.
3: that inanimate objects have power over conscious beings. So, there's a special bond, and they welcome you in. It could have just as easily happened anywhere. Maybe at the bus stop. Or in a grocery store. Or even here at work.
1: Charles was right. The transfer of myself from Larry to the elderly linguistics professor occurred the moment I saw him, walking toward me, at the bus stop. He was walking slowly, leaning heavily on his uniquely carved cane. We We had not not even even exchanged words, words, just just the briefest eye contact. contact. Professor E. I. Workman had devoted nearly 40 years of his life to studying the Federation of Languages, which developed in Mesoamerica before the arrival of the Europeans. He was the co-author of the well-respected compendium and dictionary of the Mesoamerican linguistic area. His intricately carved cane had been given to him a quarter century ago by a tribal shaman during his field work in Nicaragua. Sadly. Neither the shaman nor his tribe still exist. Both were victims of the bloody civil war. The tribal language exists today, only in the pages of Professor Workman's compendium. As I said, I knew all those particulars, even before he actually reached the bus stop. I I was waiting for the bus and then, unexpectedly, I I was was no longer Larry.
3: The adjustment to Professor Wartman's visual point of view was somewhat difficult. He had cataracts removed a few years earlier, but they were coming back. He wore special, tinted glasses that blocked the glare, and removed the color from most objects. It was a gray, fuzzy world. While his distance vision was fuzzy, his close-up vision was still acute. And, his voice boomed as clear as ever. He had always delighted his university classes by speaking from the many hundreds of languages that he had learned over his lifetime of work. Twenty-five years ago, the compendium had referenced nearly 800 individual languages, and had organized the individual languages into seven major language families. Today, after additional archaeological work, by many different teams, the compendium references 1,300 languages. Scholars are now debating, whether having just seven language families sufficiently describes the diversity of Mesoamerican languages. Some including Professor Workman, are vigorously arguing for the need for an eighth-language family. I quickly realized that Professor Workman's thoughts were not about the world immediately around him. Instead, he was preoccupied with the tonal system of some now extinct language, comparing it to another extinct language. He was preoccupied with his thoughts. Yet, he still could not escape the task before him. A task he dreaded even more than poisonous spiders or dengue fever. He was on his way to the large cancer hospital to see his longtime colleague, Hugh Wilton. Wilton and Workman, Workman and Wilton. The linguistic literature was full of studies they had conducted together. They were two of the giants in their field. The compendium had been their joint life work. Still, they were colleagues. They were awesome intense rivals, a rivalry bordering on enmity. They were like brothers, bound together, very unwillingly, by the strongest bonds, but all the while, continuing to hate each other. Wilton and Orkman could not be together for longer than about 20 minutes without acrimony. The fights would be over the smallest of insignificant things. Neither man enjoyed them. Neither could avoid them. Hugh Wilton taught at University of Michigan. Go Big Blue! Workmen taught at Ohio State. Mortal enemies on the athletic field. However, it was not their university affiliations that caused the disruptions. Both men felt that they were always right. Each had apodictic certainty in their own opinions. I am right. You are wrong. No room for other possibilities. Yet, together they had produced this great work. The basic research tool of their discipline. They communicated well by phone and letter. Distance enhanced their collaborative abilities. Now E.I. Workman was on his way to the cancer hospital. He was dreading it. As he approached the bus stop, the one closest to his motel, he was looking for others to connect with. He found me and knew that I was willing to take the trip with him.
0: All visitors must check in at the nurse's station before entering patients' rooms. No exceptions will be permitted.
3: Good God, Workman said to himself. Wilton looked like an early Mayan death mask. All he needed was the serpent wrapped around his head. Still, he steeled himself and tried to seem positive. How is it going, old chum?
1: I think I'd rather spend a week locked in a steel cage with you.
3: (coughs) That bad. Wilton used a Mayan cuss word. I knew what it meant, but we had never included it in the compendium. It was one of those words that had migrated into the language after Spanish colonization. Hoping to bring some joy to the situation, I offered a selection of poetry. One of my former graduate students has been researching a new archive in Peru, one that dates from 1564. It includes the diary of a priest from the Order of St. Augustine. He found a bit of Incan poetry that I had not heard before. Shall I read it to you? Wrapping it from my hand, Wilton smeared. Oh. I'll, I'll read
1: it myself. <coughs> you always get the <coughs> phrasing wrong. Oh. <coughs>
3: <coughs> Just then, he turned very pale. He began to cough and gasp. I could feel the fear welling up from deep in workman's self. It was primordial, dark before time began, dark before the heavens, dark before the earth. I could feel it grip workman's throat, squeezing it tightly, allowing no air. Then, the urge to jump, to leave this old man's self, to return to my normal, to Larry, to me, the real me. I needed to jump before the bridge collapsed, before the return would no longer be possible. I needed to jump now. Still, I remember Charles telling me. Next time it happens, Larry the plaster. see the face of this dark and powerful entity. We'll know what it is. It was as he said. I knew the bridge was collapsing, but I stayed. I stayed. I stayed. Then, I heard Major Tim Augustine. I heard Senora. Guadalupe Valenzuela. I heard Professor E.I. Workman. All were saying the exact same words. All were experiencing the same fear. That? That could have been me.
1: It is fear that binds us all together. Not a generic fear. No, a specific, personal fear, coming from a direct encounter of the death of others. Personal. Direct encounter. Death at close hand. Knowing that it could have been me. Could have been me. If Major Tim Augustine had come out of that door three seconds earlier, the IED would have killed him. Three seconds. Just three seconds. One glance at the whiteboard to check something he had written on it. Three seconds. Briefest of delays. It could have been me. If Guadalupe Valenzuela had worked the Friday night shift at Easy Ed's Liquor & Convenience store she would have been murdered during the robbery. She had always wanted to take Saturdays off, not Fridays. Hard to do things with the kids on Friday nights. But had she worked that Friday night, it could have been me. Professor Workman had studied images of death for his whole professional career. But that was academic work, an interesting field of study. It was death from long ago, death among a people that are no more. The fear became personal only when he visited Hugh Wilton in the cancer ward. Wilton and Workman. They had been collaborative partners for so long. Easily, it could have been me. For me. It was my experience during the three-day sail on the 56-foot-2 Master. More specifically, it was Martha's fall. Martha, I could not remember her name before. Martha, she was an experienced sailor who had once crewed aboard a boat doing the Ensenada to Hawaii race. She knew how to climb the riggings, she knew how to unfurl the sheets was strong and athletic and experienced. The weather was calm. She climbed the rigging to untangle some lines. Best to do it in good weather, she told me just before climbing up. I watched her climb up, admiring her skill and courage. Then a rope wave hit us from an unexpected direction. She misjudged and fell. I can still see her falling. I remember hearing her scream, but others don't. Probably a false memory from too many old movies. She hit the water hard. She was at least 60 yards from us, floating away from the direction we were sailing. I don't remember how the boat turned to pick her up. I remember everyone moving quickly, but I do not know what they did.
3: There was no use. I knew she was dead. I knew she was dead. I knew she was dead.
1: Yet, it turned out. It turns out she did not die. Yet, it turns out that she didn't die. Yet, it turns out that she didn't die. Yet, it turns out that she didn't die. She had turned herself while falling so that her feet went in first. It was a hard entry, but she lived. I remember the Coast Guard helicopter above us. I remember her brave wave from the basket. I knew she had suffered a spinal injury. I imagined her life henceforward to be that of a quadriplegic, lived in motorized wheelchairs, and with full-time attendance. Had I stayed in the sailing club, I would have known that with surgery and physical therapy, Martha largely recovered. She could no longer climb the high rigging, but she could still ride bicycles, swim and surf. My own fears, however, had nothing to do with Martha's real health. Over and again, I saw myself falling, hitting the water, paralyzed, drowning. Then, I would awake quivering. What if that had been me? A Palooza Springs Audio Theater is a creative collaboration whose purpose is to write produce, and share original story content through webcast radio experiences.